It was just a Sabbath like every other Sabbath. And just like he did every single week on the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogues. When it was his turn to read, someone handed him a scroll. And the scroll was from the words of the prophet Isaiah. And as he unrolled the scroll, Jesus looked and found the place where it said this. And he read these words out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus took that scroll and he rolled it back up and he handed it to the attendant and he went and he sat down. And every eye in the room watched Jesus and couldn't, they just couldn't take their eyes off of him. And as he was sitting down in the middle of the synagogue, he looked at the people and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they were in awe. They were shocked. They were taken back by what Jesus said. They were even whispering among themselves, how could he speak with such power? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the guy that we grew up with? How does he have this authority? They were in awe of what Jesus said. And as Jesus read those words to the people in that synagogue that day, he was making a declaration. He was making a declaration that this salvation that Isaiah had prophesied about so long ago was happening right in front of them. And not only was it happening, he was standing right in front of them. He was the salvation that Isaiah promised. He was the Messiah that they were expecting. But it was also a declaration of war. Jesus was making a declaration of war against sin and shame and darkness and the powers of hell that kept the people in bondage and captivity. But even more than a simple declaration of war, he was making a declaration of victory. He didn't say, I've come in hopes that the slaves might be free, in hopes that the blind might have their sight back, in hopes that the oppressed will find liberty. But he said, I'm coming to do it right now. The victory is already imminent, and freedom is on the horizon. From the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus made his intentions explicitly clear that he came to bring freedom. If we fast forward a couple decades, there were a group of Christians meeting at a church in a place called Galatia. And the Christians in Galatia had begun to forget that freedom that Christ brought. Because some people had come in, in their midst, some false teachers had started coming in and telling them, it's really great that you're following Jesus. The problem is, you, before you were a Christian, you were a Gentile. You weren't Jewish. And to be a Christian, really what you have to do first, Jesus is great, but you have to go through the circumcision. You have to follow all the dietary laws. You have to become more Jewish so that you can become more Christian. They were teaching this idea that salvation, that freedom came with Jesus plus something else. And it started to affect the people of this church to the point where Paul wrote them a letter to remind them of their freedom. Much like the Christians in Galatia, most of us aren't very good at being free. We tend to swing back and forth on a pendulum. On one side, swinging towards legalism forgetting that we're free at all. On the other side, swinging towards licentiousness, 
looking at freedom not as something that Christ gave us, but confusing that freedom and liberty with anarchy and rebellion. And so just like the church at Galatia, many times we need to be corrected about what it means that Christ died to set us free and what that freedom really looks like. And so we're going to spend some time in Galatians 5 finding that out. We just came out of a sermon series through the book of Joshua. And we went through the whole book in about 22 weeks, which is kind of short in preacher timeline to go through a whole book. But we did it in such a short time so that we could see a zoomed out picture of the book of Joshua, catch the major theme, see what took place, and how that fits into the timeline of, of God's redemption of humanity. What that narrative teaches us in light of the bigger narrative of Scripture. And so sometimes zooming out is really helpful for us, and then sometimes we need to zoom in. And so that's what we're going to do here in Galatians 5. We're going to spend about the same amount of time that we spend in Joshua on one chapter of Scripture and dig deeply into what Paul teaches us about freedom. And towards the end of this series, we're going to spend most of our time looking at what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, where he tells us how important things like love and joy and peace and patience and all of these incredible things are in our lives. And we're going to look at them certainly as Christian virtue, but we're also going to see that they are reminders of our Christian freedom. That Paul tells us against those kind of things that there is no law, there is no regulation. Those are things that Christians can and should participate as much and as often as we possibly can. And so we're going to look at those one by one and see how they teach us to be followers of Christ, but also how they remind us of our freedom. But before we get there, for the next few weeks... We're just going to get acquainted with the concept of freedom when it comes to what Christ did for us and see what it is and how it changes us and how we can put that into place in our lives. So this morning we'll be coming from Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1 all the way through verse 15. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept the circumcision, that Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts the circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers and sisters, still preach circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, we do, as always, thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the truth it brings. And today we thank you that it reminds us that we've been set free if we've put our faith in Christ. That Jesus paid this incredible price for our freedom, for freedom's sake. So as we look through this, God, teach us what it means to be free in Christ, to how, that we would know how to be free in Christ, and that we would live as men and women who have been set free. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing we notice here about freedom is that freedom is free to us. Freedom that Christ gives is free to us. We've talked before about how Tim Keller describes the idea of forgiveness. And Keller points out that when you see the concept of forgiveness, especially in the New Testament, it's usually put in the framework of debt. They usually use language that describes the idea of debt giving, being given and taken away. So when Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, as we often also forgive those who are indebted to us, it's that kind of language. And Keller points out, That when a debt is forgiven in a normal circumstance, that the person who was indebted to the other is set free. The person who owed the debt now has no more obligation to that debt, but it doesn't mean the debt goes away. Because when a debt is in place, somebody has to pick up the tab. And so in the case of forgiveness, if someone wrongs you, if someone sins against you and they owe you that debt and you forgive that debt, it doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make the heartache go away. You have to pay that debt on your own because you've set them free from it. Here, as we look at Christian freedom, we're reminded all throughout Scripture that we're covered up in debt. The Bible teaches us that we're in debt to the law, that the law is the standard required by God, and that none of us can reach it, none of us can accomplish it, and so we're all indebted to the law, but we're also reminded that we're indebted because of our sin. That because of our offenses, because of the things that we do, because of the fact that we not only neglect God's law, but act in a way completely contrary to it, that we owe something to God that we could never return or that we could ever pay. But then enters Jesus. And Jesus stepped in and bought for us the freedom that we needed through forgiveness. Through what he did on the cross by taking our sins in and on himself, he paid our debt. The weight of that sin that we had on our shoulders that we couldn't ever get out from under, Jesus took that on himself. The penalty of the law that loomed over us, that was reminding us constantly that we're not good enough. Jesus fulfilled that law so that we didn't have to. He paid for us what we could never pay on our own. And there's a couple ways that we can respond to this and that we usually do. We hop back on that pendulum. And on one side, we can think about this grace that God has given us and how amazing it is that Jesus paid our debt. And we can feel really guilty. We can start to think about what it costs Jesus to buy our freedom for us, and we can think, man, that's just not not right. He shouldn't have had to do that for me. He shouldn't have done that on my behalf. And so we start to live our lives trying to repay Jesus something that he gave us for free. And we fall back into that idea of legalism, of trying to work for Jesus, even though he's done the work for us. On the other side, we can look at it and say, man, He's forgiven me. 
I had this huge credit card bill of sin, and he wiped it free. But not only do I have a clean credit card now, but this institution, this law that governed how I used it is gone. And so now I'm completely free to do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about God. I don't have to worry about what he requires of me or what he wants from me or anything like that. I can just live my life however I want. And we swing over there to licentiousness. We can feel guilty or we can feel empowered when we think about the power of Christ. But we should really just feel free. There's been a couple times, and it's been a long time ago, that I listened to Dave Ramsey's radio show. I don't even know if it still comes on. I assume it does. It was years ago. But I remember in the couple times that I listened to it, there would be people who called in. And there were people who were just covered up in debt at one point in time in their life. Crazy credit card debt and all kinds of other debts, their house bill, their car note. All of this stuff just piled up over years and years and years to the point where they just felt consumed. They felt like they had no way out. Everything they did, every move they made, every job they worked, every bit of money that they had went to pay this debt that seemed just insurmountable. But they would go through his program, his debt-free program, and they would pay off that debt. And he would have people call in and talk about what happened when they had that debt taken away. And you could just hear the excitement in their voice. They were so overcome with joy that it usually ended with them screaming something about being debt-free, which is really shocking when you're driving in a car and hearing it on a radio and someone just shouts something about no more debt. But they would talk about how it felt like they just had a weight lifted off their shoulders, that for the first time in their lives, they felt free. And the work that they were doing, they could work towards anything they wanted. And the money that they had coming in, they could spend on all kinds of other things because they weren't held in bondage. And they constantly would say that we feel free. But Jesus sets us free on a much deeper level than just monetary issues. He doesn't just forgive our credit card debt, but Jesus sets us completely and totally free by fulfilling the law for us, inheriting our debt on the cross, and then leaving our sin behind in the tomb at his resurrection. And that should cause us to not feel guilty, to not feel empowered to do whatever we want, but to feel free. And why did Jesus do it for us? Why did Jesus come to set us free? Well, in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set you free. That seems redundant. It seems like Paul is just restating something in a weird way and that it doesn't make sense, but it's not redundant. It's incredible. Because what Jesus came to bring was freedom. And for Jesus, freedom wasn't the means to an end. Jesus didn't come to set us free for some other purpose or for some other gain. Jesus came to set us free so that we would be free. It was right there in his mission statement when he read from the book of Isaiah. He said, I've come to set the captives free. In verse 13, Paul says it was for freedom, brothers and sisters, or excuse me, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. And that's how we need to learn to think about freedom. We need to learn to think about this freedom that we have in Christ as a calling, as something that we are called to pursue and to chase after and something to be celebrated. We can complicate this idea of being free in Christ so much, but it's pretty simple at its core. That if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've repented of your sins, then Christ has set you free. 
There's nothing more required. There's nothing that you have to pay back, but that Jesus has set you totally and completely free. And our response to that should be thanksgiving and freedom. The law brings bondage. It brings weight that holds us back. Sin brings condemnation that keeps us away from God and what he's called us to do. But Jesus brings freedom, total and complete freedom that's free of charge to us, that was paid for in full by Christ on the cross, that was given to us by grace alone for anyone who trusts in him. And that's how we have to begin thinking about freedom, that it is totally and completely free to us. But freedom is also easy to forget. Freedom's easy to forget. I've been around pastors for a long time. My dad's been a pastor my whole life. I went to school with a bunch of pastors. It's what you do when you become a pastor. And so when you talk to some of these guys who have been in ministry for 30, 40, 50 years, and they've preached hundreds of weddings and hundreds of funerals, they've got a lot of great stories. And they usually center around funeral processions. Because a lot of times what can happen in these funeral processions is you'll have the funeral in one location and then the graveside service may be an hour, two hours, three hours away. And so everybody hops in their car and starts heading towards the graveside. And I remember one story that my dad told me about a particularly long trip going to a graveside from the funeral. And he was leading the processional. And about halfway down the trip, He had kind of just got in interstate mode where he was just driving and not paying attention to anything. And they passed in one section of the trip a Kmart. And he remembered that my mom needed him to get something from Kmart. And so he turns on his blinker, turns off the road, pulls into Kmart, notices in his rearview mirror that there's a long line of people with their flashers on following him, realizes that he's leading a funeral into Kmart, pulls around the parking lot and smoothly exits the parking lot. One of my professors told me a story that was really similar, and he was a little bit of a cratchety guy anyway, but it was one of these long funeral processions, but he wasn't leading, he was in the middle, and he thought that, once he got into that interstate mode, he thought that everybody was driving too slowly, because he forgot he was in a funeral procession, so he jumps in the fast lane, speeds around the entire funeral, and beats them to the graveside by about 45 minutes. Because when we start driving, at a certain point, you quit thinking about driving and you just drive. And when we start to forget where we are, it becomes easy and it becomes normal to just go back into our natural patterns, whatever they are. When things start to settle in and become regular and we stop thinking about what we're doing, it's easy to forget what's actually taking place and go back to our old habits. In verse 1, Paul is warning the people that that's true about their views on freedom. He says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is warning the people, if you take your eyes off this freedom that Christ died to give you, then it's going to be really easy to start looking other places and try to find freedom in other areas and start resorting back to what you know. And for these Gentile Christians, what they knew was slavery. They knew slavery to sin their entire lives. And now with this freedom, Paul was worried that they were going to trade one slavery for another. That these false teachers were going to come in and tell them that they needed to start following this law. And the people were going to think, I'm not used to being free. So maybe I need something else to hold on to. And he's warning them not to forget that freedom. 
In verse 7, Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And I love the way Paul describes that. He says, you were running well. And I just get this picture of somebody running free, you know, ugly running with no weight and just running through a field with arms flailing everywhere and just enjoy running because nothing's holding them back. And Paul says, you were running so free. You were running so well. You were ugly running in Jesus and it was so good. Why are you putting on this weight again? Who is hindering you from this? Scripture and the Jewish people around this time would describe the law as a yoke. And a yoke is what you'd put on an ox or a cow or a beast of burden. And it would help them know which way to go. But a, a yoke could be very heavy. And it could slow down the process. And Paul said, you were completely free. You had nothing holding you back. Why are you submitting again to this yoke of slavery? Why are you putting on all this extra stuff when Jesus has set you totally and completely free? The desperation that Paul has in this passage of Scripture should show us how beautiful freedom is. And he desperately wants these people to know that beauty in their own lives, that they have that freedom in Christ, and they're called to run towards that freedom. But these false teachers have come in, and they're causing them to coast. They're causing them to start looking around in other directions. They're causing them to start forgetting the beauty of the freedom that they had in Jesus, and they start to look back at what's behind. They start to look at what they came from and resorting back to these old tendencies of putting themselves in captivity. And looking back can be a dangerous thing. Think about Lot's wife in the Old Testament. God was about to destroy the place they lived, but he was taking Lot and his family out, and he had something so much better for their family. He says, I'm, I'm freeing you from this. I'm delivering you from this. I'm taking you in to a better place, but you can't look back. Don't look back at where you came from. And as we know, the story goes, Lot's wife, as she's walking away, had one last look back. And it ended very poorly for her. There's danger in forgetting that we're moving towards this freedom in Christ every day of our lives. And when we start to look around and start to look back, all that's behind us, is captivity. Verse 2 through 6, Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept the circumcision, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts the circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For Christ Jesus, neither circum- for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Looking for freedom anywhere else but in Christ is useless, it's imprisoning, and it's burdensome. And if we contrast verse 2 with verse 6, Paul puts that in very plain language. He says, either you want to put on this old law, either you want to find your freedom somewhere else, and Christ is of no advantage to you, or you find your freedom in Jesus, and everything outside of Christ means nothing. Everything outside of Christ has no hope for you. There's no in-between. 
for the people of Galatia, it was either you want to follow the law and take on this circumcision and Christ means nothing, or you follow Christ and it doesn't matter if there's circumcision or no circumcision, that all of that counts for nothing because Jesus counts for everything. And we can think about that from our perspective too. Either we want to look for freedom in the law and in our guilt and our desire to pay something back, or we can find our freedom in Christ. If we look for rebellion and licentiousness as our answer to freedom, then Christ counts for nothing. If we look for freedom in good things in our lives, if we look for our freedom coming from families, coming from our comfort, coming from our homes, then Christ counts for nothing. If we look for our freedom in money, if we look for our freedom in power and relationships and fame, then Christ counts for nothing. If we gain more freedom from a flag than we do a cross, then Christ counts for nothing because it doesn't matter who we are, where we live, where we come from, or what's around us. Christ is the only means for our freedom, and everything else on its own brings captivity. It sets us back in the rhythms of slavery and oppression that Jesus died to save us from. This freedom that Jesus brings is thorough and complete. There's no need for anything else. And so we should be sure to constantly keep our minds and keep our hearts focused on that freedom that Jesus gave us so that we don't forget. So that we don't start coasting down the highway and looking for other things and taking our minds off of Christ and trying to find that hope and freedom anywhere else. Because anywhere else we look will just reshackle us to what Christ died to free us from. Never, ever forget what Jesus paid for your freedom. Because the price Jesus paid is greater than anything else in our lives could ever give. And because of that, it goes hand in hand that not only do we never forget what Christ did to bring us freedom, but we should never ever forget that we are free. But it is easy to forget. So freedom is free to us. It's easy to forget. And then finally, freedom is precious. Freedom is precious. A few years ago, it was probably just a week or two after Josie was born, our oldest daughter, and she had come home. And we had a lot of people coming in and bringing us food, and we were very thankful for that. There was a lot of chicken spaghetti in our house. I didn't know chicken spaghetti was a thing until Josie was born. And then I ate so much of it that I will never eat chicken spaghetti again for the rest of my life. But we were very thankful and grateful for that. And so we had some people in our house one afternoon, and they brought us probably chicken spaghetti. And there was a knock at the door. And so I thought it was just somebody coming over to visit with us and see Josie and all that kind of good stuff. And so I go to the door, and there were three Mormon missionaries at the door, none of whom had chicken spaghetti. But they wanted to talk, and they wanted to, you know, when Mormons come to the door, they start to talk about their faith and their church and all that kind of stuff. And so I told them, I was like, listen, guys, I appreciate you being here, but... I just had a, my wife just had a baby. She's a couple weeks old. We've got people in and out. I'd love to talk to you, but I don't have time right now. And so, you know, I was thinking maybe we can meet up another time. And so I said, I'll give you my phone number and you guys can call me and we'll go out to eat and we can talk about this and you can tell me where you're coming from. And then I'll, you know, tell you about Jesus and it'll be good. And so they, they left and everything was good. And I shut the door and I was feeling pretty good. I was thinking I'm going to have a chance to talk with these you know, young guys about Jesus and I'm excited about it. And I walk into the living room. And Stephanie says, well, who is that? 
I said, oh, it's just, you know, some Mormon missionaries. They came to the door, and, you know, I told them that we had a baby, and I couldn't talk right now, but we're probably going to go get lunch later, and I'm really excited about it. And she loses it. She's like, why would you tell them that? And I was like, what's happening? And it turns out that I believe it was that morning she had read an article somewhere that said that there were people dressing up like Mormon missionaries who were coming to people's houses, finding out they had babies, I'm not kidding you, and stealing their babies. Now, in fairness, she didn't see them, and I, I had a quick chance to size up, you know, Elder Tim and Jason and John or whatever their names were, and had they decided to come into my house and try to steal my baby, it would not have gone well for them. But I get where she was coming from, because that's a scary thing, right? The thought that somebody would want to come in and take your child is horrifying. And so that birthed this reaction, unlike maybe anything I've ever seen in my wife, of anger and fear and and all sorts of things because she had a desire to protect our child. When something is precious to you, you want to protect it at all costs. And for Paul, this freedom that came in Christ, that Jesus died to give his people, was that kind of precious. Listen to how Paul talks about it. Verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers and sisters, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, this is a mixed group, and we have different ages here. So I'm not going to break down the Greek of what Paul means when he says that there, but this is not a good thing that Paul wants to happen to these people that are bringing in this false gospel into the church. And put this in perspective. This is the Paul who says things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, when people are coming into the church to try to take away the freedom that the Galatian Christians have, he's saying, I hope that they suffer punishment and I hope they suffer physical harm because that's how important this freedom is to Paul. That's how important this freedom should be to the church at Galatia. His harsh language is incredibly important here. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump, warning the people that if you take your eyes off of Christ just a little bit, if you start looking for your freedom in any other gospel, like he says earlier in the book, not that there is another gospel, but if you start looking for it anywhere else, it taints the entire thing. Because it can't be Jesus plus something to give us our freedom. It's either Jesus alone or something else. And that something else always falls short. Paul's anger and his passion here communicates to us how precious this freedom is that Jesus offers us. He shows us how important it is that we hold it close. And I think, if, if I'm being honest anyway, freedom is one of the last things that I think about when it comes to salvation. I think about forgiveness. I think about eternal life. I think about hope. I think about faith and all these other words. But freedom very rarely comes to my mind. And yet Paul is saying here, if someone comes in to take that away from you, I wish horrible, horrible things would happen to them. We should view our freedom in Christ like a precious jewel, like 
a sentimental heirloom that's so important that it could never be replaced. Something that has the highest value in our life so that we hold it so close that no one can take it away. Because it is that level of priceless. Because what Jesus did for us on the cross, the price that Jesus paid to bring us that forgiveness is something that we can never repay and something that we can never even grasp. The price that was paid for your freedom and mine is higher than we could ever fathom. Its value is greater than we could ever comprehend. And so we have the responsibility to treasure it, to think about it all the time, to have joy, to fight for it. Because it is a precious gift that was given to us by a gracious and merciful God at a cost that we could never begin to understand or never begin to pay back. We have to start viewing our freedom in Christ as something that is dear and something that is precious to us and something that causes our hearts to rejoice. So there are a couple questions we have to ask. The first is, are you free? Paul says, or excuse me, the New Testament says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. He says here that for freedom, Christ has set you free. But before those things can be true about our lives, we have to ask the question, am I free? Have I trusted in Christ for my salvation? Have I put my faith in him to have that freedom that can only come in and through Jesus? And if the answer to that question is no, then I would encourage you and ask you and beg you to to find me and talk with me. I'll be here after the service. I'll be available all week if you want to talk about what it means to trust in Christ for salvation and to receive that freedom that he gave us through the cross. If the answer to that question is yes, you say, yes, I've been set free by Christ. I've been saved by his grace. I've been baptized. All of those things. I love Jesus. Then we have to ask ourselves, do we know what it means to be free? Is freedom in Christ something that we think about constantly? Do we keep our minds fixed on what it costs Jesus to bring that freedom into our lives? Is it something that's precious to us? And is it something that defines our lives and who we are? Because we have the calling, as Paul says, to be free. And to allow that to be one of the things that defines our lives and everything that we do as followers of Jesus, that we could boldly say, I have been set free from Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't look back. Don't forget the freedom that Jesus died to bring you, but run in his grace and in his mercy. And with joy in your hearts, constantly give thanks for what he has done through Jesus and worship the God who has brought you that freedom. It's such a great cost through Christ. How are we using our freedom? I pray that each and every one of us begin today learning how to use it well.